Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And as always, our enormous gratitude to our patrons over on Patreon and our academates on the Bestseller Academy for their support for this podcast. We simply could not keep going without you. And we really, really mean that. Now, if you want to check out the Academy, get me and Mr. D coaching with you and a great community of writers there as well. Pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a link in the show notes for that as well. And to support this podcast, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, where you can become a patron and get all sorts of wonderful extra goodies. And you can join the likes of our latest patron, Susie Edge. Susie, welcome to the gang. Uh, thank you so much for your support. And thank you to everyone who helps us keep this trucker rolling. Absolutely. And thank you to the Easter Bunny, Mr. Stay. <laughs> it's, how was your Easter this weekend? Did you have a? Do you still do the hunt? Did you still? I mean, or should I say, for all people out there, you know, with kids of a certain age, does the Easter Bunny still come to your house, Mister Stay? I am on a calorie controlled diet, so I'm keeping the Easter Bunny at arm's length at the moment. So Are you there with uh, your shotgun at the uh, <laughs> window, <laughs> varmint. Um, I. I I was away for Easter. I was at EasterCon, which is uh, the big science fiction convention that happens every year. Of course, hasn't happened for the last couple of years for, you know, one thing and another. Um, so it was nice to get back to a big literary convention like that, see so many uh, familiar faces. Uh, I did a fun podcasting panel. Uh, so thanks to everyone who came to that. There was some terrific panels on writing. If you're writing science fiction, fantasy, you, they get some great names there. So I saw the likes of Tasha Suri, Mary Robinette Kowal talking about their writing. Lots of fun panels as well. I did a reading. Uh, so, you know, you, they book you little rooms and they are small rooms, you know, about half mm. the size of this room where authors can sit and do a reading. Um, for my reading, only two people showed up because oh. <laughs> it, it clashed. It clashed with a big party where they announced, I think, where where the next EasterCon was going to be, and they were giving oh, away well. free drink and nibbles. So <laughs> how can you compete uh, with that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so anyway, oh. anyway, thanks to Michael R. Miller, a fellow author and friend of the podcast, who's been on a couple of times. Thank you to Michael for showing up, and to Cal, a lovely lady who turned up and sat and listened patiently. I, I actually gave her the book I was reading from and signed a copy for her. So you missed out, folks. Yeah, if you didn't yeah, come, you, you missed out on a free book. See, that one's on already going for $50 on eBay already, isn't it? That's brilliant. But you know what? It reminds me, Mark, of the gigs. We used to do these gigs where, um, you know, back in the day, you'd, you know, when you did like a, a launch of an album, you'd have everyone turning up, be brilliant. You'd have friends, family, grandparents, you know, friends you hadn't seen from school for 20 years. And you'd, you'd have this amazing time and it'd be a buzz in the room and it'd be people queuing up outside. And then the next gig you did, yeah. Crickets, yeah. You and a couple of tumbleweeds. Um, but I think it's actually really, it's, it's, it's really good because I, you know, what we always said, it doesn't matter how many people show up, you always have to show up and give the best performance that you can give because, you oh, know, what, if you change one person's life, you know, yep. then, or if you, if you, if you introduce a new person um, especially when it's live, I think there's something about meeting people in the flesh. Yeah. Um, I mean, not literally in the flesh; that would be a bit awkward. But no, we were fully clothed. But, but to meet some, to meet an author, <laughs> it kind of, or to meet someone in, in in a band or something, it kind of connects you, or just to see them live, it kind of connects you to them in a different way than when you've 
then you've just read their books or you've seen them interviewed or you've heard them interviewed on a podcast. Um, so yeah, support, support your local authors, especially because I often find I'll I'll wander into my local bookstore and I'll see like a, a local author doing a big launch and, and, and there's no one there or there's three people there. And it's, you you feel so kind of, my heart just goes out to them and you're like, you want to stay there and help them out. And so, so support, it's really important as authors that we support our own authors uh, as well. So that's cool. So did they, did they not have any chocolate then at EasterCon? I thought they would be kind of a, a they theme. did. They had lo- they had loads, but I was abstaining, man. I've lost a That's stone hard. since I started this on March the 9th and recording this on 21st of April. I've lost a stone in weight that is in awesome. that time. So I'm very happy. So one more stone to go, I think, for I reach the weight I want. So, uh, yeah, now I was I was a good boy. I was good a very man. good boy. You see, that's yeah. the ultimate <laughs> test, isn't it? Put yourself oh, right in there. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about having kids as well. I've still got kids of the age where... Um, you know, the, the, and I think actually I was thinking the other day, as I was watching the kids run around the garden, like nutters finding <laughs> Easter eggs, I thought to myself, why did we ever stop doing this for adults? Like, uh, you know, it's like, I, we should, we, we just like, but we take the tax now, don't we? We take like 10% tax on all, all, uh, all <laughs> Easter candy found. But I thought, why, why should all the kids have all the fun? Um, and it was it was brilliant, and, and our kids are very good about how they do this. They're very democratic. In the in the past, it used to be like you know, winner takes all, and you know, <laughs> um, and then as the kids, some of the kids got a bit older, they had, they struggled to get up in time, so you know, they lost out. Now what they do is they they had the fun in the fun in the hunting, and then they all come inside and they they pour all their eggs on the floor and they divvy them all up by Aww, by chocolate, sweet. yeah, by chocolate. And then obviously, if there's an odd number, then that comes to the parent. You know, exactly. So, so yeah. some, we work it out somehow that we get to enjoy it. But uh, fantastic. But um, what was what was it like actually being? I mean, this is a slightly different conference to say a book fair that you'd been to the last couple of weeks. Yeah, What's yeah, the vibe yeah. like compared conference versus book fair? What's the kind of vibe like? Is it is it more kind of holiday fun festival versus kind of yeah business yeah serious? yeah? It's um, I mean it's it's super geeky. You know, it's these are people who live and breathe science fiction and fantasy, really passionate about it, really interested in seeing it evolve and change. I mean, you know, so I was watching, this might sound really dry, but I was watching a uh, panel about uh, class and cast in science fiction and fantasy. And it was really inspiring because, I, you know, having had a working class background and uh, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I haven't seen much of that and actually i think i and it started you know cogs started turning and i started thinking Mm. okay how can i how can i you know be part of a wave of the future how can i make change so you know there's there's some really good stuff there and and then there's fun stuff too like there was a film brilliant film which i'd heard about and just isn't available streaming anywhere because i think it was a kickstarter and you could only watch it as part of a kickstarter but they screened it at the festival about this amateur dramatics company in wimborne in dorset who normally put on pantomimes and they're made up of uh, people who work at a bus garage uh, bus drivers and and what have you hmm. and they decided to stage the film alien <laughs> <laughs> well, this is gonna be good go on <laughs> And it was, in, and you're watching it. If in, anyone has ever done any Amdram, as I did, you know, when I started out, you're watching this and people turning up, they're chatting for 20 minutes, they're not rehearsing, <laughs> yeah. they don't learn their line, just no sitting lines there. Poor, poor director's tearing his hair out. You think, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. And it's it's called Alien on Stage. And oh. the, the ending is just joyful. It is just wonderful. So, you know, you have fun stuff like that as well. Brilliant. So, yeah, it's um, it's 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 
it's very different to the kind of business-like atmosphere of, of the London Book Fair. It's it's fun. Um, I'll tell you what, the mask compliance was much better than it was at the London Book Fair. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, very serious about that. So, uh, yeah, no, it was great. And it was, you know, like I say, nice to meet old friends and catch up with people that well, I haven't seen for ages. This is the thing, isn't it? This is the thing. I, I can't imagine that you can't help but feel recharged and refreshed coming back and, and, and ready to go again. I think for people yeah, yeah, who've yeah. never been to conferences before, um, if, you, if you're kind of like a bit down, you're a bit kind of like, oh, where's my career going? Or I'm never going to do this right. Get yourself to a to a, a one-day convention or a two-day conference. Because whenever I've gone, I've, I mean, not just the socialization, the people you meet, the opportunities that come from them, you always look back on these events and think, gosh, if I hadn't have gone to that event, this would have happened, which meant yeah. that and that and that. And, that. and you kind of, you, you know, like life, like meeting your partner, for example, you kind of look at all the crazy things that happen for that to actually come about. And it's the same at conferences, opportunities mm. abound. And I also think that we need a bit more of this in our life right now, because I don't know about you, Mark, but like getting back out into the to the real world, so to speak. It's like, we're out of practice. Like socialization is something we've taken for granted as something we've always done, but having not done it properly for a couple of years, it, yes. it's a little bit awkward, isn't it, at first? It, it bit, was, it was right? actually. And, and it was exacerbated by the fact that people had masks on, rightly so, because it's yeah. a hotel, it's quite low ceilings, it's quite lots of narrow corridors. I think it was the right place to be masked up. But I can't tell you the number of times that someone said, hi, and I said hi back, and it wasn't until I walked around the corner until I thought, oh, and I must apologise to former guest Shona Kinsella. I think I completely blanked Shona, the BSFA stand. So sorry about that, Shona. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was weird, but yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. It's that the conferences like this are the living personification of you've got to be in it to win it. You know, mm. that you, there are lots of happy little coincidences, lots of little moments where you have a conversation that could lead to, to who knows what. Who knows what. It's all part of the mm. fun of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think, Mark, yeah, yeah. they should have this new uh, new convention at conventions, which is if you're wearing masks, we should all have our stickers, name stickers on our, on our masks. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Right? That's not a bad idea. Because you're looking at people's faces. You don't want the embarrassment of having to look down and go, are you again? Um, yeah, yeah. That could work. <laughs> Although you probably wouldn't be able to breathe properly, but someone will figure that bit out. Excellent stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I am I'm very, very excited um, to see that one of your books has been published in Germany. Yes, well... Uh, we mentioned that uh, the crow folk is out in Germany. Uh, De Hexen von Woodville, Raven Zauber, Raven very Magic. Very good. Um, and what's my great? My mum. Can I just oh, say, yeah, my mum would be very proud of you to say she's a German teacher. And I kept. I tell you ah. what. Growing up as a kid, if I mispronounced my German words, I was told that's words. So I'll give you like definitely like nine out of ten for pronunciation. That's excellent. Oh, You're practicing. Yeah, that's as good. <laughs> well, it's it's great because there are, there's load of um, Instagrammers and book bloggers on Instagram, and I'm seeing the book and they're tagging me hashtag Mark Stay. So I'm getting yeah. notifications, and of course they're, they're giving these long reviews, and it's all in German, so I haven't got a clue what they're saying, but. Of Instagram has that translate button oh, at the bottom, and genius. you look at all this text and you think, "Do they like it or do they not? Do I do I do want to do I want to hit that?" So you look for little clues. Is there you know because they they have little emoticons. So is there a smiley face? You know, so you know they and and they're lovely. So I, I got one just just before we started recording. Gordon, would you read it to us? Um, yeah, this is from uh, so on Instagram. This is Talia 
underscore Buchhandlungen. Okay, so I'm going to hit that translate button. Here we go. Okay. This, is like a, this is like a random one you picked out. This is the top one. This is the top one. Okay. So, and this is because it's an AI translation thing. This, you know, oh, so they're they're, brilliant. They're, it's it's brilliant, but it's slightly broken English. So, of course, you know, that, that's which... no reflection on the original blogger. So, okay. Welcome to the extraordinary world of Faye Bright, a young teenager witch who has just discovered her abilities for herself. In her late mother's diary, Faye also finds mysterious sayings alongside a famous pudding recipe. <laughs> so that's. That in the English one is jam roly poly. So fa- famous pudding recipe. That I- I'm immediately thinking: Have they changed jam roly poly to famous pudding recipe in the book? Ah, yes. Have they made that change? So I don't know. Um, and I must quickly realise she's holding the book of a witch in her hand. She too has the mud- mother her magic used to have. Luckily because she will soon have to use it against the miraculous army of gruesome scarecrows. <laughs> The Raven People. So they're not the crow folk, they're the Raven People, because the title wow. is uh, Rabenzauber. So Raven Magic. Raven, yeah. Uh, so uh, blah, blah, blah. She, she must, uh, to protect her quiet village of Woodville from their grim spells, by her side, not only are the powerful words her mother inherited from her, but two brawling old ladies. <laughs> Those are the other witches. <laughs> Sounds like a pub. <laughs> Again, something lost in lost in translation there. Um, her rusty but reliable bike and the local music club. Well, that's a pub. It's not a music club. Local music club. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, accordingly well-equipped, she pulls into an unexpected war of magic. Uh, there are many witches to have won our hearts over, and now and she's lists some. And she says, and now Faye, do you have a favourite witch? I love that. That's brilliant. brilliant. That's so actually pretty it. that's pretty good. <laughs> now I, I can tell you, Mark, that is amazing. And I can tell you this because I'm an expert in German translation because I have a grandmother <laughs> that lives in Germany, doesn't yeah. speak English, turned a hundred last month and for many many years i've been conversing with her usually in written word Uh, i've I've done a lot of phone calls as well but it's becoming harder these days to to talk over the phone but um i have given her apparently the best entertainment she ever gets (laughs) by by reading my christmas cards and birthday cards and letters because i've used translate for like i've I've used translations now i use the ultimate google translate which was my mum she was she's absolutely superstar i'd send it to her in english and she'd translate it to me and now i do speak a bit of german because i did gcse german but i'm dangerously bad at german (laughs) and therefore i when i started using when google translate came along i can't remember how many years ago it was but it was it was a number of years ago. Mm. Um, it was actually in its kind of beta, like early stages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were just, apparently, my, my grandmother was howling with laughter with some of the things they wrote. <laughs> <laughs> mum had to kind of like, when they got on the phone, she would read some of this stuff and my mum would start laughing. And then mum would have to kind of explain what I actually meant. Um, but talk about lost in translation. But now I'm utterly blown away by how accurate it is because I sometimes send the translation to mum saying, is there anything in here that's like completely dodgy and comes across the wrong way? And she says, actually, it's almost, it's almost spot on. So um, it does make me think how that opens up just from a book world, how that opens up to people reading books in foreign languages, right? Like 10, 10, 15 years ago, we couldn't do that. But reading like a novel that's only ever been published in say Spanish or French or Chinese or something how at what point we'll be able to read a novel and and like get almost like like that review just had and get the gist of it really really closely 
I mean, it's there's a couple of things there. Um, one, it's not just you know the 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 thing of just translating. You have good translations and bad translations. I I remember when we did um, Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon, and uh, it, the translator was key because you're not just mm. it's not just about translating the words into English. It's about uh, getting the essence of what the author wants to convey. And yeah. this is funny enough, that's this is something skill, isn't it? Yeah, that's something our, our special guest this week talks about, about working with translators to ensure that it's not just, you know, a, a, a literal word by word translation, that there's an essence that's not lost there. And that's really, really important. And, and you get extremes as well. So like the Asterix books, which I absolutely love, translated from the French by Derek Hockridge and Anthea Bell. But what Derek and Anthea brought were loads of puns and gags that weren't in the original French ones. Right. Uh, so, you know, they, they they bring something extra to it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it, it will happen, but you'll always think there's possibly something missing. But as a writer, as a writer, especially me, because these Woodville books, uh, you know, I've, I've got German characters in the second one, in the third one, I've got Polish characters, I've got French characters, and I've used Google Translate to put sort of placeholder dialogue in the book. And then I send it to people. I mean, my agent is great because he's got French and German people who can translate for me before it goes to the publisher and they double check it. And I've got some friends who helped me with the Polish on the last one. And it's remarkably close. You know, sure. it's, 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 you're right. It's absolutely spot on. Mm. So, um, mm. so yeah, I think for that basic translation, I remember Claire and I went to Rome before lockdown and we wanted to find the bus stop and we just used Google Translate and it speak, you know, spoke in fluent Italian, you know, so we were able to get. It's bonkers, know. isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's absolutely bonkers. And then if Elon Musk's got anything to do with it, with Neuralink and all this stuff, I saw an interview the other day saying none of us will have to speak in the future because we'll all just communicate through thoughts. How yeah, that works yeah, in yeah, translation, yeah. I have no idea, but I'm sure someone will work that out as well. But like, I, like I'm letting Elon Musk anywhere near my brain. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? So, so until that happens, we can all enjoy it. But I'm, I think you're right, Mark. I think we need to embrace and celebrate the skill that goes into the kind of human translation. I mean, I'm, I know that AI is a big thing right now and it's getting bigger um, by the day, but, you know, it's going to be hard to ever replace that human nuance, yeah. if you like. Of um, So to all translators out there, to all people that work in language, big up to you folks. Salute you. Keep it alive. And, yeah, um, yeah I think it's brilliant. And, uh, and to many more translations as well, it's going to be fun to see how the book starts to travel around the world because I think... That's that's a really major milestone in an author's life. I mean, just even getting published in English, that's huge, right? Mm. Getting starting to rack up some some international countries, that's yeah. that's going places. We just so um, brilliant. I just signed a deal this week as well for the Turkish rights. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is a uh, not big money, but it's a, it's a new market. There, you know, there's a new publisher started there, and they're looking for you know science fiction and fantasy to sell to Turkey. So yeah, how let's go. Brilliant! How brilliant is it to think that there are readers out in in all these places that we could never reach that are now going to be able to to read read books? That should inspire everyone out there to to get writing and uh, see if they can get their books translated as well. It's fantastic. It. Now, as you said, rightfully so, Mark, our, our special guest this week, we delve a little bit into. Uh, language um mm. but also i mean okay okay it's a bit of a theme and everyone's kind of at the point where they think oh but you've got to hear this interview because of this insane 
and I would say prophetic, even though it's denied in the interview, but prophetic, um, you know, writing about a pandemic long before, not even the pandemic, but long before COVID actually came along. So tell us about this amazing guest who we welcome back this week, Dion Mayer. Dion Mayer. Now, folks, Dion previously appeared on episode 41 of the podcast, back when we were just into double numbers. Uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can hear that because it was... Such a wonderful, heartwarming episode full of wonderful advice. But uh, Dion Mayer is an award-winning author and screenwriter. He's written 14 novels, published in 27 countries, uh, multiple number one bestsellers, won all sorts of awards. His books have been turned into TV series, and all, all of his other books are currently under option for film or TV, with many in development. Now, his new book, The Dark Flood, is the latest in Dion's Benny Grissel novels and has everything you would expect from Dion. It's got suspense, tight plotting, twists you don't see coming, great characterization, but it all started with a conversation with a real estate agent. So we discuss how asking people about their lives can help with story ideas, Dion's top tip for developing ideas, and how Benny Grissel, a character that started out as comic relief, evolved to get his own series. Brilliant stuff. And for our American and other folks around the world and Canadian folks that um, who are listening to this interview, um, Dion talks about estate agents and in, in over over here where I am, we call them realtors. So That's just to make, I know everyone knows that, but I just want to make that connection for anyone that, that maybe doesn't. But let's dive in and listen to the fantastic and absolutely lovely Dion Mayer chatting with Mark. Dion Mayer, welcome back to the bestseller experiment. It's delightful to see you. How are you today? I'm very good. Thanks, Mark, for having me. It's been uh, five years. It has. It has. And the thing is, when we last spoke, we were talking about fever, a post-apocalyptic novel about a virus, a pandemic. I mean, you can't say you didn't warn us, uh, Dion. How, how, how does it feel when you write something that's so speculative and then you see it start becoming a reality? Was that, was that quite chilling? Yeah, it was weird. I, you know, I had forgotten when I wrote the book. Uh, I used the coronavirus after consulting some very smart people, and they came up with a, a coronavirus as the best candidate for what I for my story. And I had completely forgotten about the fact that I had used the coronavirus. And it was only after our, during our first lockdown, I started getting uh, calls from journalists from France and from Germany, from uh, South Korea and Japan. Uh, saying they want to do an interview because here we have a coronavirus now. And that was the first time it actually dawned on me, uh, you know, because when you write a book, you sort of move on and you forget the detail. Mm. Uh, and that was just the weirdest feeling. Uh, but you know, I have to be honest, it's I actually wrote the, I chose a virus as my means of getting rid of a large slice of the world population in terms of a book. Because there have been warnings up to then. I remember these front page uh, Newsweek and Time magazine articles uh, talking about swine flu and the bird flu and that there was a pandemic coming and a lot of scientists warning that we weren't ready. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't think I was that prophetic. I was just perhaps reading more news in a very specific fashion of looking for something specific than, than most people. Well, your new book, The Dark Flood, uh, is a bit more, 
grounded, a little bit more, uh, it takes its inspiration from the real world of financial fraud and scandals. But as I understand it, it all started, you were moving home and, and you were chatting to estate agents and that's that's where you started getting a, a glimmer of an idea of, for the story. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Marianne and I, we had moved to Stellenbosch since all of 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And uh, it took us a long time because we had four kids still living with us and we both worked from home. So our need for a home was very specific in terms of the space. And it took us a long time. I think it took us two and a half years to find the appropriate place that we can afford. Uh, And during that time, we went looking at a lot of houses and um, spoke to estate agents. And, you know, as most authors do, you're always looking for interesting stuff. Uh, And being an estate agent, especially in Stellenbosch, the uh, property market was red hot back then. Uh, I kept asking, what what is your life like? And what interesting things happen? And they started telling me all these interesting stories that never ended up in the book about how estate agents... Uh, in in this town specifically, uh, was trying to nail one another all the time. You know, <laughs> one one upmanship and one up womanship, uh, because it's such a competitive market. And I thought this is a this is a really cool world to have a character, uh, and especially a female character. And I think being a, a woman working as an estate agent, and you have to take often male clients to empty houses, there's something very uncomfortable about it. Mm. Um, and I, I kept asking some of the estate agents, what does that feel like? You know, how how do you react to that? Um, and they, they also told me some, some interesting stuff. So I knew somewhere along the line I wanted to use this. And when I started developing the dark flood, uh, there was another element that came in. <clears throat> there was a this very famous company in Stellenbosch uh, that had its headquarters here, international company. Uh, they had uh, a big German ownership. Uh, they owned um, uh, retail uh, companies in Italy, in Europe, in Germany, in the United States, huge international conglomerate company. And it went bust overnight. Uh, and most of their senior management was in Stellenbosch, and they went bust because of corporate fraud. And that devastated the uh, property market in Stellenbosch because a lot of these senior managers, and there were a lot of them, had used the shares that they held in the company as collateral for buying property in Stellenbosch. And suddenly when the collateral disappeared, uh, the banks called in the loans or asked for a different form of collateral and they couldn't produce it. So there were a lot of these big places on the market. Unfortunately, by then, Marianne and I had already bought our house some years ago, so we uh, we couldn't benefit from that. But it, it threw the cat among the pigeons in terms of the property market. A lot of these estate agents uh, were in dire straits. And when that came along, I thought this was the perfect environment to have a, a, a character like uh, Sandra Stienberg uh, to to put pressure on her to to create a conflict in her life and to make life difficult for her. <clears throat> but that, that that thing, that initial thing of just chatting to the estate agent, wanting to find out more about them, 
is that curiosity always on? Because you you have a journalistic background, and I I know you know whenever you have a conversation with a journalist, they're always leaning in, they're always trying to find a story. Is that is that something you've kept out, and that, that helps you as a writer? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it it does make a difference. You know, if you if you worked as a journalist for a certain period of time, you you have this hunger for interesting stories. Uh, you're always, although I don't I don't work as a journalist anymore. I don't think. Uh, that ever goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shifted for me in terms of I'm now always looking for story ideas for novels mm-hmm. uh, or for, for movie scripts or short stories or whatever the case may be. So I'm always into asking people about their lives and their work and their environment and things that happen to them because you just never know. And as is, was the case with The Dark Flood, uh, it it was six, seven years before I actually wrote the novel that I got that information. And it sort of sticks in the back of your mind and then something else happens and you suddenly realize, wow, this is this is where I can slot this in. And is that, is that what helps put a story idea, what helps get it to the top of the pile, the, the idea that just won't go away, that stands the test of time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there are so many ideas that come at you, but – you always know when you find something interesting or special uh, that that's I, I used to write them all down in a notebook until I realized that the really good ones, they stay in the back of your mind. They never go away and they just need a, a new spark, something else. And I, I think it was Steve Jobs who said that creativity is bringing two opposite things together and creating something new. And for me, that is exactly how it feels, that you you have this one thing and you carry it with you. The book that I'm writing at the moment uh, is information that goes even further back. Um, And I always knew uh, this was going to, this should be a part of a novel somewhere in future. And then you just wait for that other element to come around. It's like a little chemical reaction uh, and you have this flash and, and, the thing ignites and it ignites your excitement, really. It ignites your imagination. You think, wow, this can be very cool. A chemical reaction, that is exactly right. You're right. There is that kind of spark that gets you, you oh, 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 yes, I know I know how to do this now. You know? <laughs> this is the, I believe it's the eighth in the series that features Captain Benny. Now, forgive me if I get his name wrong. Greasel, is it Greasel? In Afrikaans, it's Greasel. Uh, we don't expect uh, people from other languages to to say it in that way. Although the Dutch can, I think the Dutch are able to do that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to Dutch and Afrikaans and and all that later on. But um, this is the eighth that fa- uh, features Benny. I can pronounce that correctly. Now, as I understand it, Benny wasn't supposed to be a lead character. I think, as I, as I understand it, in Dead Before Dying, the first book, he you originally thought of him as as the comic relief. But what what made him become the lead for you? Well, it, it was, and that's for me, that is the beauty of writing is that for me, I don't do a lot of planning. I sort of have a broad story idea in my head with one potential ending. And then you sort of discover the story in the writing. Um, and having created Benny in Dead Before Dying, really for just one scene, uh, and certain characters just make things happen on the page. Um, I writing is in a certain sense um, making creative choices and you have to live with the consequences of every choice that you make and the great luxury of uh, having multiple choices 
is that's the great thing. And there are only two things that you can do to multiply your creative choices, all the options that you have in terms of the story. The one is research, do a lot of research. The more information you have, the better you can cherry pick and choose. And the other one is when you create a character, spend a bit of time thinking about them, really, you know, give them some sort of a psychological makeup, some sort of a backstory, although you might not use it, uh, you never know. And with Benny, that was the case. When I, you know, I created this, this drunk, alcoholic, sort of broken, but very competent cop and thought he was going to be uh, in two or three pages in the story. And then when I wrote him, things happened, interesting, funny things, uh, more choices. Suddenly you have more interesting choices because the the hope that you have is to always entertain the reader. And when this character starts entertaining you as a writer, then you see the potential. So he, he never was just on two pages. I gave him a bigger and bigger role. And by the end of the novel, he was one of the major sub-characters. And I just knew that somewhere along the line, if I found the right story, he has a huge potential as a uh, uh, as a protagonist. He, I, so I guess he kind of hijacked the story, did he? I mean, <laughs> luckily not. I mean, the, the, uh, I think the protagonist was, was str- and his own struggles were, were strong enough to carry the story. But Benny certainly uh, <laughs> insinuated himself into the story much stronger than I ever thought he would. <laughs> and now here we are, eight novels on from that original appearance. How are you keeping a character like him fresh and exciting? Uh, I, I remember we spoke to uh, we spoke to authors like Ian Rankin and Mark Billingham, and they've said very similar things, which is when you have a series like this, people don't necessarily remember the plots, but they always remember what happens to the main character. They always talk yeah. about a thing. So, are you adding layers to him? Are you, uh, you know, you talked about that backstory. Is is there a sort of, you know, do you do you mind that backstory, or is he still surprising you? Well, he absolutely still surprising. The way that I can try to try to keep him fresh is by trying to look at where he is in his life in terms of the relationships uh, that he has with uh, the woman in his life, Alexa Barnard. They have a very specific history. He met her on a case that was part of the novel 13 Hours, uh, and their relationship slowly grew from, from there until finally uh, he's asked her to marry him. And now the, the wedding is the thing that I hope to, to uh, cover in the next novel. So there are these phases in his life. His kids are growing up because he's an alcoholic. He had a, a very bad relationship with especially his son. So that is something else that in every book, uh, you know, that grows and I delve into that. Um, and, and also psychologically, uh, when we first meet Benny in, in Devil Speak as a protagonist, he's really a deeply hurt, broken character. And, you know, you can you can go three ways with that. You can keep him like that, uh, which I've, I've always found a bit unnatural because people don't exactly stay the same. Uh, you can make him improve quickly or you can make him struggle as we all do with life and all its challenges uh, and also his alcoholism. So I've because I know what drove him to the bottom, psychologically, I, I did a lot of research on especially why people in law enforcement drink and there are uh, several interesting reader, reasons. Um, I, I know what the engine of, of his drinking is. 
and I've allowed him to uh, see a shrink and to slowly but surely start conquering the, the reasons behind the drinking. And that is also a journey that in every book, I spend a lot of time doing new research, looking at where he is now and how that would influence him. And, and that's the way that I try to keep him fresh, is to, to keep him concurrent with the phases that he would go through in, in life. Fantastic. Now, we know, we know readers love Benny. What do cops in South Africa think of him? Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> what? What do they make of it? I'm 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 thrilled that um, most cops that I talk to love Benny, um, because when I when I was a journalist, I did a lot of crime reporting. I actually went uh, to the police every morning to uh, to the colonel in charge of, of the region. Um, so I I got to know how the police work and how they think and you know their environment uh, quite long ago so, and i've always tried to stay honest to that environment uh, again by doing research every year by for instance with the dark flood um benny and vaughn cupido his uh, his, his uh, colleague they were part of the hawks which is an elite police unit in South Africa. They do the, the serious investigations. And then in the previous book, The Last Hunt, uh, they, uh, they did some uh, things that um, the police were not happy with. So the consequence was that they would be taken out of the Hawks and sent to a common uh, detective squad as part of a, a specific environment. And I haven't done that sort of research for 10, 15 years. So I spent a lot of time with the Stellenbosch uh, detective squad. I was very lucky to be able to, to, to be allowed into their inner sanctum. Uh, I spent time with them uh, for days on end. I spent time in the police station with them uh, just to see how that works these days. Um, and... I'm happy to say that police men and women who read my books, their comments have only been positive in terms of yes, uh, you, you get it right. Um, so I've, uh, that is something that perhaps delights me more than than anything else in terms of reader feedback. Mm, wonderful stuff. It takes us into a world that we, you know, we we think we know, but there are always surprises whenever you do that kind of research. Now, now. This book, uh, as well as many of the other books, are set in Stellenbosch, which is where you live. And and folks, do go to Dion's website. I put a link in the show notes because there are some photos there of the extraordinary uh, landscape there. And it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, how important is the setting to you? I mean, in previous, I think in The Last Hunt, you go to Paris and it's you know you, you don't just stay in South Africa. But how important is that home location for you? Yeah. I think it's more important for readers than it is for me. For me, the story is paramount. Well, obviously, the story needs to happen somewhere. And the great thing about South Africa, and especially the Western Cape, is that there are so many fascinating and beautiful places that you can set a story. So when I when I think in terms of where a specific scene should happen, whether it's the Cape Town waterfront or the Cape Flats or Stellenbosch, um, then I, again, I go do research and I make sure that I know exactly what the environment looks like. Um, and But from a writing perspective, the only thing that is important for me is that uh, 
I can see it in my head. And that, that just helps me to tell the story better. Um, it's, for me, it's not a huge thing to, you know, to make the setting another character or something like that. Uh, it, it just really enables me to, to see the scene in my head and then it's easier to describe it and to write it. Excellent stuff. Let's talk about language because your books are, are published originally in Afrikaans and you regularly use words from Afrikaans and Zulu and other languages uh, of, of uh, South Africa, which, you know, it's great, reflects the diversity of South Africa. But what are the challenges when, you, when you're selling that overseas? So to someone like me, who sadly I've never been to South Africa. I'd love to go, but you know my my extent of South Africa is seeing stuff on the TV. You know, how do you um? What are the challenges in the translation and, and and making that feel real without losing the reader, perhaps, in something they might find unfamiliar? It's always a challenge, and I think that uh, the challenges are twofold. I think the first thing is how much of the original and very colloquial language do you leave in? Because we want to give the book a South African texture. It's got to feel South Africa. I mean, that, that's one of the, the, the differences from books set in America or in Scandinavia or in the UK, is that we have multilingualism. I mean, in South Africa, there are uh, 11 official languages, uh, people from all these cultural and ethnic and language groups work together in the police. So I want to reflect something of that, but how much is enough and how much is too much? And what we try to do is to only leave a sprinkling of words of which the meaning in the context would be quite clear. Um, we also do add a, a glossary at the back, just in case uh, it, it, you know, it, it's not that easy to derive the meaning. But I think mostly, I when when I read the translation, and I ask myself, will people get this? And I, the, the answer has always been probably yes. Um, so that's the one challenge. And and my translator, Laura Sieges, and I tried to spend a lot of time looking at exactly how much. And then obviously my, my agent, Isabel Dixon, and uh, my wonderful editor, Nick Sayers, and Hodder in, in the UK, uh, they all uh, look at that uh, from the same perspective to make sure that it works. The other great challenge is to help readers in other countries understand the, the complexities of, of South Africa, mm. the politics, the socioeconomics, the, the cultural, uh, uh, the interesting cultural stuff. Um, so I've, I often would add a little bit for the, for the English translation, especially uh, the US and the UK editions thereof, just to make it a little bit more clear for readers exactly what is happening. What is state capture, for instance? For South Africans, it is very much part of, of, of the conversation every day, but I think for, for people outside South Africa, you have to explain it a little bit. Mm. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, Dion, but uh, you... You're one of the most quoted authors on our podcast. Your your advice comes comes up again and again and again. You you spoke to us in episode forty one in twenty seventeen. We're, we're we'll hit episode four hundred sometime this year. So you know we've uh, but we're still quoting, uh, which I believe is an African expression. You said we talked about writing a novel, and you said, "How do you eat an elephant? Bite, bite, yeah. bite." Are those still words that you live by? 
Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the interesting thing, my wife and I have had COVID twice now. And the, the strangest symptom is that in the first few weeks, I would say the first six weeks after COVID, my concentration was really bad. Mm. So I, I, the dark flood, I wrote most of the dark flood during the first lockdown after Marianne and I had COVID. And at first I could only write for 20 minutes and then my concentration would just go and I would have to go do something else and come back later. So the bites got even smaller with the dark flood, but the elephant was still eaten. And I still believe that that's the only way uh, to, to, to tackle such a huge animal. Wonderful stuff. Well, thank you for inspiring so many of our listeners, Dion, and you will continue to do so for a very long time. Folks, The Dark Flood is out there now, along with uh, Dion's many, many other novels. Do jump in. Do uh, escape to that, you know, escape to that world, the worlds that he's created. Dion, thank you so much for speaking to us today. And let's not leave it so long next time. I'd love to speak to you again soon. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Oh, I have fond memories, Mark, of our original interview with Dean. Such a lovely guy. And lovely guy. Um, success couldn't happen to a more lovely person. But mm. I absolutely find it fascinating, absolutely find it fascinating how we yet again find another kind of journalist or uh, just someone who started out in journalism, a bit like Michael Connolly, the interview we did did um, mm. earlier this year, um, and how he talks about this kind of natural curiosity that journalists have. And I and I was thinking about that and I was thinking, actually, that's something that we all need to have. I, I think it's developed as, as a journalist. We have to be naturally curious. But it made me think, yeah, writers have to be naturally curious about, about their surroundings, about the world, about people, like you say, to kind of pull that story out. Um, and it's fascinating how that, again, was another author's kind of starting point for their their career. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the, the danger when you're an author, you're putting your words on the page and it's all me, me, me. You know, it's, it's like, I've written something, you're going to listen to my words. We won't get those words unless we develop good listening skills, unless we start asking questions of other people. So it's, um, I like we've talked about this before, I did, you know, work experience at the Leatherhead and Dorking Advertiser. And it the, the big thing I learned there was to listen, to listen to people and give them room to uh, be themselves and let them talk and let them talk. And it's something I've developed, you know, when we interview people on the podcast, don't interrupt, let them get on with it because they will knowingly or unknowingly reveal something amazing about themselves. And then you lean in and you say, wow, tell me more, tell me more. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, and it's all grist for the mill, even if it doesn't spark an idea for a, you know, a best-selling series, it might spark a little idea for a character and you think, oh yeah, I can use that, you know? It's a really good reminder, isn't it, to writers out there who are struggling to come up with ideas or the right idea. It's a good reminder to, that, that the next conversation you have, your idea might be revealed in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being curious and, and, and being open and, and asking, being willing to delve and ask some interesting questions about like in the way that Dion talked about how he was going around looking to buy a house and, you know, started to have conversations and he probably didn't realize before he went looking for a house, that the actual act of needing to find a new house would lead to his next novel. But here we are, you know, one novel later, with everything inspired 
by initial, those initial questions. So I, I, I really, I think that's a really good reminder to all of us to, to, to have active listening for, for a new idea. If, if you're looking for something brilliant to happen, then, then it's usually going to, you could probably go an average day. If you went and talked to a lot of people during that day, you'd get one great idea out of those conversations at least. Well, I mean, bringing it back to conferences, you know, having been to the London Book Fair and Eastercom recently, I can't tell you how many wonderful little sparks have come out of that, uh, of accidental conversations I might never have had. The other thing as well with listening, and this is really important to develop, is when people are talking about things that you might disagree with, it mm. might be a viewpoint that you think is abhorrent or just strange or weird. And again, I think it's really important not to, you know, the instinct, and I was like this as a teen and, a, and my early 20s, the instinct is to shut them down straight away. Don't say that, you know, but actually, again, let them speak, let them, let them express their worldview, because again, you can put it in a book, you know, <laughs> you know, you, for every, every protagonist, there's an antagonist, you know, you yeah. can, and you'll learn a lot from that. Well, that's the thing about active listening in that when, as soon as we hear somebody's opinion, that is the complete opposite to what we believe, what we always do is we start forming our argument in our head. Oh, yes. I'm going to drop. <laughs> just you wait till you stop. I'm going to drop in my. And the thing is, is that whilst we're formulating our argument and working out a great retort or how we're going to prove them completely wrong, we're not listening to what they're saying and we're missing the opportunity to learn. And ultimately, I, lo I always love this quote. I heard it in church once years ago and somebody said, God gave you uh, two ears and one mouth for a purpose. <laughs> Right, we should be listening twice as much as we're speaking, and it's this idea that if we listen, we get to learn, and therefore we benefit from it. Whereas we never ultimately, well, obviously, for an activist, we benefit by giving our opinion and trying to change someone's opinion, but we learn more, we grow more by listening, and this idea of active listening is the opportunity of really going deep with that character. If you think of the person you're speaking with as, as a character who's giving you kind of clues as to what goes on behind, what really goes on behind those thoughts. Practicing that makes us a better writer of character ultimately. So every conversation is an opportunity to become a better writer in some ways. Yes. And I've listened to that and I'm now going to tell you why there is no God. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but were you really listening, Mark? <laughs> no, I was formulating an argument. I thought you were going to say why, why, why not everyone has two ears. But, um... <laughs> yeah, my glasses but it's keep brilliant. falling off. Another really, another really interesting point that that Dion brought up, and and it's so true. And again, it's so obvious. Um, but this idea of good ideas never go away. And we talked mm. a bit around this, haven't we, where it's this idea, we, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I've coached about parking all the great ideas we have and seeing which ones stay in the car park over a period of time. And they're the mm -hmm. ones that you're ultimately going to probably develop. But it's really good to hear that from Dion. And, and it's sometimes I think as authors, we come up with a great idea. I know I do or do this all the time. I come up with a great I a new idea and I want to dive into it straight away. I want to mm. actually start developing and writing it. And you've always talked about this idea of marinating a book after yeah. you've written the first draft, stick it in the drawer, marinate it for six weeks, come back to it with a fresh face, fresh mind. Mm -hmm. But what about the beginning as well? It's like, how about letting an idea marinate? In some ways, it's almost like chucking it in the glad mm -hmm. gladiator ring and saying, go on then, fight it out with the other hundred that are in there at the moment and see you survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, 
I've I've had exactly that from Eastercon. I had this idea, and I'm thinking that's oh yeah, I like, I could write that, and they could, and and I went. I remember going for a walk. I went for a story walk, thinking, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to let it sort of you know tick over, and I've got ideas for it, and I've written some stuff down, a little more than a paragraph, mm. but. I resisted every urge. First of all, I've got like five other blooming projects going exactly, on at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I, I resisted every urge I had to sort of jump in because I knew experience tells me it's going to be too weak to survive in that gladiatorial ring. You know, it's oh, not going to, it's not, it's not going to stand up to scrutiny. And what I need over time is for other ideas to glom onto it until it starts to look more so like, like a story. Give it some more armor. Get it to the Glad- yeah. Gladiator Academy. Yes. It, right? But that's true, isn't it? And actually, Dion, again, this is a great segue into what Dion was talking about, about creativity, about it's often a combination. Yes. He talked about Steve Jobs' quote about, you know, creativity is a combination of two different ideas coming together. And mm. sometimes that, that what, exactly what you're saying there, it's like, okay, this, this, this story idea needs a bit more armor. It needs a bit more sword fighting training before it goes in and messes with the big boys to see if it mm. can stand up to it. And sometimes that's, that is about, and it's not sometimes just about leaving the idea, but it's about letting it marinate, letting it kind of work in the subconscious and then the conscious, keep building that idea. Sometimes the aha moment comes where it's like, oh my gosh, if I mash this and this together, I've suddenly got the unique thing I was looking for. Yeah. So it's yeah, really, yeah. really fascinating. But good for you for doing that, because I think it requires a huge <laughs> amount of discipline doesn't it? It does require a huge amount of discipline to not just dive in. And that, I think, Mark, is the one reason why so many authors are working on multiple books. Yes. Right? <laughs> it's because they don't have a car park and the discipline. And I put my hand up and say, yeah, I'm one of those. Um, you know, it's not a criticism of others. It's actually an acknowledgement that it's a very, very difficult thing to to be disciplined in. Um so would you have do you have a rule about how many how many what's the maximum number of ideas you work on at any one time no it's, i i've got no there's no rule i've just got a crazy busy week so i've my days are very very full so first thing in the morning so this is this is today this is thursday okay so first thing in the morning i do my sort of 2 hours on the new woodfield book that's priority number 1 and i've had a very good writing day on that then i did a podcast interview this morning well actually we had to we had to abandon it halfway through because someone was drilling outside the guest's door so we're going to do that on tuesday now so. things people never hear about on the finished versions right if only exactly. you knew folks drills trucks um, I'm editing a client's book, so I did uh, a, sort of, a, a chunk of editing on that this morning, then I had lunch. Then after lunch, I had a script meeting with a co-writer on a screenplay, and we, we had a chat about what the next scene was going to be. Then after that, I wrote up notes. Then after that, I uh, did... Um, uh, I've, I'm reading, I'm beta reading a book for a writer friend. So I'm re- I read that for about 45 minutes. And then I listened back to Dion Mayer and did all my notes. And here we are now. That's, yeah. that's a busy day. That's a busy, yeah, busy a day. So, on. you know, I just haven't got, I know I haven't got room to sort of interrogate any new ideas properly. Um, 
Although I, did, I had a call with my agent last week. He said, I need ideas. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's my script agent. Oh, okay, right. So, yeah, I am, I'm noodling. I am in ideas mode, but I'm sort of putting stuff in, in a notebook and, and then giving myself a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, it's all fun and games. It's very interesting, isn't it? Now, let's talk about, let's talk about glossaries, Mark, because I love the fact that Dion was kind of acknowledging that not everyone – will fully understand it and it reminded me and i'm going to reach out for it now there it is here back it is reality. back to reality yep. it, I, rem- I remember that conversation we had where we got a bit concerned when we because uh, the, the the book is a very a, a very british a british mm. written book and we, we make no no apologies for that in fact it's one i think it's one of the endearing things that people have loved about it uh but we do you remember that conversation we have where we think are people what about like north american readers and, and readers from other countries and you came up with a brilliant idea of, <laughs> I'm just going to open it up. Here we go. Glossary for non-Brits. This is at the, <laughs> this is at the back of our book. It's on both, yeah. the, it's both the, hard, the paperback and the uh, e-book, isn't it? I think it's e-book, both. yes, yes, yes. And, and I'm just going to remind you what you, what you wrote here. As, as we start to get feedback from our beta team, of which we had like about, I think it was about 100 people beta read this book for us. It was insane, like podcast fans and stuff. It was brilliant. Such a great group. Um, as we started to get feedback from our beta team, it became clear that some of our overseas readers were perplexed by some of the peculiar <laughs> British terms and references used by our characters. Here are some helpful pointers for those who want to know more. And I love this. I was just flicking back through it earlier and I thought, oh, this is brilliant. So the first one, of course... Pride of Place, Marks yep. and Spencers, and the Colin the Caterpillar Cake. Right? Yep. Any long-term listeners of the podcast will will know all about that. Um, probably one of the most probably. Oh my mascot. god! Oh my god! Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Right. So I'm going to read this out. So cool. it's um, M&S has been on the British high street since 1884. Blah blah blah. Colin Caterpillar Cake, delightful birthday confection. It's a chocolate sponge roll. Simply too delicious uh, for children. Um, the ironic birthday cake of choice for adult and office birthday celebrations with such dubious luminaries as former Prime Minister David Cameron and we hope he never becomes Prime Minister Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this is so written in 2017. So we've we've both uh, annoyed fans of Trump and, and Boris Johnson in oh, this. So yeah, sorry about that, folks. Expect the one-star reviews. So so if you if you haven't if you have if if you haven't ever um, read the book go and read the glossary first because you'll learn about the following things waitrose okay everyone outside uh everyone the bentley's of british supermarkets that's what oh, Mark yeah, calls yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. um the word yonks yonks <laughs> yeah and you actually go into where this comes from the slang yeah, yeah. Yeah, it probably yeah, yeah. derives from the cockney rhyming slang of donkey's ears for years yonks donkeys, is basically yonks, yeah. Uh, yeah. a meaning a long time uh, the duke of edinburgh awards anyone who's ever been to school in britain mm. will know about the duke of edinburgh awards um barnet uh, we won't tell everyone what because you've got to go and look these up uh, nando's which um <laughs> is, is still whenever i get the chance mark um there's only a couple of nando's out here in canada i actually actively Just seek them out i seek them out yeah, because yeah. i miss i miss i miss lemon and herb nando's actually, uh nando's started of course in south africa so the connection the to our guest yeah there yeah. is it's actually yeah. in there isn't it yeah mm-hmm. um fascinator Yep. And what a great word, a great British word called blag. Blag. So if you want to understand what all those mean, 
and and then and then enjoy seeing them pop up in the book. Go check out. Go get a copy of Back to Reality on Amazon or, <laughs> or all good bookstores. And um, yeah, check out the glossary for non Brits. I thought how fascinating. It's not not just us that uh, like to and it, and and this is a celebration of language in many ways. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the English language, especially slang in 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 Britain like Cockney rhyming slang and all of the thing, the weird things we say. And I can, for one, say truthfully, Mark, that having moved to a foreign country, even to an English-speaking country like Canada, even now, I've been here 10 years, folks, even last week, I was, I was having conversations about um, napkins and serviettes um, and all <laughs> kinds of things and stuff I don't realise is, is completely British. And people are like, what do you mean? What do you mean you, go, you, you have to queue up? Oh, oh! You mean lineups? Standard you know, it's just line, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. It's just—it's just so much of it, and I love it because it's actually—it's—it's it's a celebration of language. I don't see mm. it as a pain or kind of an inconvenience. I love the fact that I have to explain what the words "dog," "dogs," "bollocks" means to almost every <laughs> Canadian as I meet. Right? I mean, how do you describe? How do you describe that? Because when you say it, you think, "Oh God!" When you actually get the vision in your head, it's like that's not good. It's yeah, and, and by the way, this is a good thing. If something is the dog's bollocks, it's a good thing. Well, yeah. here's the thing. It's really? like, and, and I remember, I remember meeting some Canadians once when playing pool, and 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 I missed a shot, and I went, "Oh bollocks!" And they went, "Bollocks? What's about bollocks?" And and then and that's how I got into this conversation about the bollocks and the dog's bollocks, and then thought, "This is the most who came, who even came up with that?" Absolutely if, brilliant. If if anyone out there is watching Moon Knight on Disney Plus, Oscar Isaac plays a character. He switches between various characters, but one of them is this kind of fella who is, he works in a gift shop in the British Museum and he talks like someone from Spinal Tap, but he says bollocks an awful lot in the uh, in the TV show. So I think bollocks is finally going international. So thank you for that, Oscar Brilliant. Isaac. That's fantastic. And, you know, it goes even further because, you know, if you've ever heard of DBs, it's nothing to do with decibels. You know, it's like there's, there's always, we, as Brits, as Brits, we always take it another level. We go, we, we do, we do slang of slang and then an acronym <laughs> just for good measure. I love it. So celebrate, celebrate colloquialisms, folks. It's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yes. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that Mark, uh, that, that Dion mentioned, he was talking about um, this idea of different ways of different options that we have as writers. One is the idea of lots of research, um, or the other is thinking about a character, spending that real time of going like a deep dive, almost backstory. And I love the fact that he kind of he gives us those two options. We know that we know the challenge of too meant too much research. We know about that. We've had many. Many um, authors tell us about the, the, the things you've got to be careful with that. But this idea, I don't think we can ever do enough thinking about character. And I guess even with Dion, as he's developed these many books with the same character, he, 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 spent, he spends even more time thinking about how that character is going to develop. And it's just something that never really ends, I think, unless you actually finish a book and never write about that character again. Yes. I mean, there is, there is the danger of procrastination and thinking about a character and doing, you know, those things like, oh, what colour eyes? What sort of shoes do they wear? Blah, blah, blah. You're not, you know, until you get a character on their feet and up and doing things, you can't really get to know them. But what I, I find absolutely fascinating about the character of Benny Grissel wasn't supposed to be a lead character. It was supposed to be the comic relief in a character and, and is now 
so well established and and has you know a whole series of books and i think the lesson to be learned here is there is a danger that you can make your protagonist too idealized you know the 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 hero with you know with no blemishes no flaws you know that they're too good to be true whereas the benny gristles that the, the the characters that we love have all sorts of flaws and imperfections and so i think if you're if you're writing um very often You'll be writing something and your protagonist isn't working. And I think the thing to do is to step back and go, okay, are you being too nice to them? Do you like them too much? Are hmm. you making their lives too easy? Because the natural inclination is, you, and particularly if it's your first book, it's very often a projection of yourself. It's a version of yourself that you're putting in a wonderful adventure or a fantasy or a crime thriller or whatever. And you want them to be smart or clever. They want them to win the day. And the danger is there. You, you just make them too perfect. You make them too good to be true. And that's where you have to be, and we've mentioned this before, you know, you have to be like an Old Testament god to your, your protagonist in particular. Make life difficult for them and test them. And, you know, take those things that you think are perfections and twist them into little flaws and make them things that get in their way and make their life difficult mm. and make victory anything but inevitable uh, and have fun doing that. So, yeah, I think that's that's a great lesson to learn that that, that Dion took a minor character. Because, you know, you look at the big franchises and very often – you know, Luke Skywalker, at least in that original trilogy, is not the most interesting character in Star Wars. Harry Potter is not the most interesting character in the Harry Potter series. You know, it's the you say to people, who's your favourite? Well, it's usually Ron or Hermione, you know, because they, they're not necessarily carrying the weight of the whole story or adventure. And because of that, they're a bit more interesting. But imagine how much more interesting Harry Potter might be if Hermione was the lead. This imperfect girl, this bossy girl who, you know, has all sorts of flaws. You know, it just it just mm. makes you makes you think. So maybe your lead character isn't your lead character. Uh, so maybe you know, if you're having problems with that, step back and see if you can either make them more imperfect, or is there someone standing in the wings who could actually take over? Mm. Actually, makes me think about this idea of as a writer, what would happen if we switched it? What would happen if we loved our antagonists? and hated yeah. our protagonist mm. because if we yeah. come from that point of view we're going to put our protagonist through hell and we're going to make our we're going to make all things good for our antagonist which is obviously you know going to cause tons of conflict so switching those to just that little switch hmm, i'm going to just drop that one in there and run but the the other <laughs> thing the other thing that i loved is that dion obviously heard about the 200 word challenge and writing for 20 minutes a day during spreading around when he said 20 minutes a day i thought well, that's brilliant because that's exactly what 200 challenges about 200 word challenges about writing for 200 words takes about 15 to 20 minutes we've done through through kind of average tests of word count and word speed um but it is it seems to be like a you know and and to think and we say this again and again folks but writers who are at the very top of their game michael connolly dion mayer this is what they do this is how they get their work done and it's how they mm -hmm. keep the streak going so so if you're inspired by by that and you want to be like dion then 200wordchallenge.com go go register today because it is that you know it's about committing to it and having that rule in your life as a writer that's what you're going to aim for every day as a minimum 
Um, and it works, absolutely works. That's fantastic. Now, I know, Mark, uh, it's been a busy week on social media, hasn't it? Oh, so much good stuff. So much good stuff. So um, we asked people to to recommend favourite bookshops. Uh, so we've had a few of those coming in as well. Uh, so Julian Barr, uh, his is Archives Fine Books, a lurking place for students in Brisbane, a place of wonder built in a deconsecrated church. They have a bust of Julius Caesar on the counter in which the owner keeps his fedora when he's not wearing it. And Julian put up these pictures and this is everything you want from it. It's just a maze of bookshops that I, I commented, I just said, I'd love to get lost in this place. So that's Archives Fine Bookshops in Brisbane. Check them out if you're in Brisbane. Jeff White got in touch and he said he grew up in Belper, just down the road from Scarthin Books in Cromford, Derbyshire. And he said it's an Aladdin's cave for bibliophiles full of new and secondhand books. And again, it's, I mean, this Cromford, it, it just looks Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, and um, I love that he put a picture of Scarth in books, and you know it's it just looks like a place you can spend the whole day there. So do check out Scarth in books as well. So folks, if you've got favourite bookshops, drop us a line, let us know about them. Uh, we want to we want to spread the word and get people going to these wonderful bookshops and exploring and having those happy accidents discovering those books they might not have come across before. So that's all wonderful. Um, we had now you remember a few weeks ago, Darren James. James was talking about uh, the launch of her book and uh, she posted, she said, my paperback launch was last night. It went really well. I talked for much longer than anticipated, but everyone really enjoyed it. And she managed to seamlessly integrate uh, three short excerpt readings. And, uh, and then the illustrator talked about her work, lots of questions, and she sold 24 books. And I can tell you, for a book launch, that is very, very good going. So congratulations Brilliant. on that, Darren. Congrats Excellent. on that. Um, Trey Montague. Uh, now you remember you were talking about that foot peddler thing. Yes, Do you remember last week. Yes, yeah. right. Under uh, the desk. Tra- Trey, Trey, Tracy Montague had a foot peddler. Not so great. And knees kept hitting the desk. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you, uh, if you get You're one, a bit excited. <laughs> If you get one, don't go for a cheap 20 quid model. I might have had a better experience if I hadn't been skint. Duly noted, Trey. Um, and Tracy say, also... Go on, go on. So, poor, poor Trey's got like muscles, muscles in the calves, but like completely smashed kneecaps. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I hope your knees are feeling better. Trey also posted on the BXP group, just finished structural edits, head hurts, what a, le- what a relief. Congrats on that, Trey. Absolutely fantastic news that's great to hear um on the academy as well uh christopher wills he says after a mere 16 months in the academy i finally completed the finding an agent course in the courses section so he's gonna and uh, he says q mission impossible music your mission should you choose to accept it will be to do the research and find an agent for your thriller this message will destruct in 25 years i hope it doesn't take that long christopher i'm sure it won't because christopher regular uh, in the academy comes to all my craft coaching sessions uh just it, the stories i've had the privilege of reading his stuff and it's it's just brilliant he's brilliant fantastic, stuff fantastic so, isn't he yeah. he's brilliant and actually on that note of courses i've had i've had quite a few um academy members say and i've heard as well you know from you as well some academy members haven't have only just discovered some of the courses because there's so many on there <laughs> yeah, like i only yeah. just realized there's a, there's a second page with a ton of them so yeah if you're in the academy make sure you've checked the second page because there's what's well over 30 deep dive courses now on absolutely it's, everything it's like that thing you know on christmas morning you think you've opened all the presents oh 
but no, there's no, more there's behind the tree, you know? Absolutely. Now, now last, but by no, no means least, and you're going to love this, Mr. D, Andrew Tra- Chapman, long-term supporter on the BXP group, uh, says, uh, I was listening to the Tim Sullivan episode of the podcast. That was last week's episode. Do check it out. It's a really good episode, very inspiring, and it got me thinking. The idea of writing a whole novel in a day came up. That was your idea, wasn't it, Mr. D? Uh, yeah. I think I might have mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Andrew says, I've decided to give it a bash. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. If anyone's going to do it, Andrew is, right? It will, it will, yeah. Andrew says it's been done before. And he says, when I published my first book back in 2011, there was another indie author skulking around the the forums who did it. Uh, Nick Spaulding wrote Life with No Breaks in a Single Sitting. Very impressive, did very well, launched an incredible, successful career. So Andrew's been doing a bit of research. Apparently, John Boyne's The Boy in the Striped Pajamas was written in two and a half days. Um, Amazing. uh, So... Yeah, so he's going to, although that book could have done with a bit more research. Um, He says, uh, Andrew says, I'm going to aim for 50,000 words. That means I'll have to write 2,000 words every hour for 24 hours, (gasps) no sleep, short breaks for food, a lot of coffee, and a pillow for my ass, which will no doubt be aching by the 12th hour. Um, now, he says, I have an advantage. In order to do it, I'm going to be adapting a screenplay that I've already written, The Mask uh, Collector. Now, good idea. I've had um, I've had the great pleasure of reading the screenplay for The Mask Collector because, um, you know, as I, I do edit work, I give feedback and blah, blah, blah. And Andrew hired me to read it and give him a script report on that. It's a cracking script. It's a really, Brilliant. really good script. Great concept. So uh, I think he's, he's on to something here. So Andrew continues, says... Very good reason for not starting a story from scratch. You know, the thing yeah. that slows him down is trying to work out what happens next. So a lot of that work is, is done. So anyway, he's doing it on the 12th of May uh, this year, 2022, 9 a.m. in the morning to 9 a.m. the following day, which is Friday the 13th. <laughs> and Perfect. he says the mask. The Mask Collector will be reborn as a novel. He's going to be sharing his progress on Twitter and Instagram. He's at Andy Chap Writer on both. Andrew. Brilliant. Whoa. Whoa. I can't, I can't wait to hear you. how this We're goes. We're there for you. This is going to be brilliant. This is going to be like, I mean, that's that's like 50,000 words in 24 hours. That is utterly insane. But... <laughs> It makes you wonder if it can be done. I mean, if like anyone said, can if do a, it, if anyone can if do it, Andrew. anyone can do it. So this is great. Okay, Andrew, you, the, you, you've you've accepted the challenge. Um, you've thrown down the gauntlet. We want to hear about how it goes. We want to we want to find out the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like no whole bars, and we want you to inspire everyone else out there that might one day give this a go as well. This this is insane, and I love it. I'm sorry for even mentioning it. It was kind of a joke, but maybe this will be the start of something new and beautiful. <laughs> maybe this could be the big, I mean, like, like Andrew said, you know, you just never know. Maybe this will be the book that, that goes bonkers. And then he's yeah. got a great PR story. This is a brilliant thing about this idea is that he's got a this great PR story this to launch yeah. the book, right? We all need something like that. That 
would be an amazing story. You can see that on the BBC News. You know, man writes book in 24 hours, becomes massive bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go for it, Andrew. We're behind you all the way, sir. We we'll are, 100%. We'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll bring some coffee at like 3am in the morning, yeah. keep you going. I won't, of- I won't be there the whole time because I'll be sleeping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just good eight hours of that. But yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, while we're awake. Break. Yeah. Well, Excellent. you know, you in Canada, me over here. Well, because we when we, do, wrote- we did a t- we did a 24-hour thing, didn't we, when we did the we launch did, of our We did, we did when we launched the book. And of course, yeah, back to reality, when... I was sleeping, you were writing, when you were sleeping, it was the book that it never slept. It was the book that never slept, so, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's brilliant stuff. Well, listen, brilliant stuff. And hey, if anyone, okay, if anyone else wants to join Andrew on the 12th of May, yep. take a day off work, you know, or if you don't work, don't make, put it in your diary. Uh, let us know. We'll see if we can get a few of you together. Maybe you can kind of chat a bit on Twitter as you go through your day. Obviously not too much because you should be writing. Um, <laughs> but 12th of 12th, 12th of May, which is a Thursday, I believe, in a couple of weeks. So 12th of May. Any other takers, drop us a note and uh, we'll add you to the group and we'll have to come up with the name of a merry band of writers. If anyone I'm else excited. is crazy enough, Andrew, who knows where this could go, Mark? Indeed. This could be great. It'll Brilliant be great. stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for listening in this week, folks. We really appreciate your company. It'd be very lonely if me and Mark were just sitting here talking to ourselves the whole time, which is it's actually what we do, isn't it? But no, it's the interaction. It's the emails. It is, yeah. It's these stories <laughs> like from Andrew that keeps keeps this show on the road and keeps us going because we absolutely love to hear your stories. So do please drop us a note. We do read every email we get. And if you'd like to do that directly to us, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the contact us button in the navigation. And that email form comes to Mark and I. We always try and respond to every email we get when we can. Uh, Also, if you'd like to get an update of every new episode that we put out, we send out a weekly newsletter telling you about the episode that's just been released, what you'll learn from it, and all the links you need to find that episode. So sign up to the newsletter at the Bestseller Experiment website, bestsellerexperiment.com, and click on newsletter for that one. And of course, we say there's tons of ways people can get hold of us through social media and chat about this amazing world we live in. Facebook, we are Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. And if you've been inspired by this episode, if it's helped you, if it's given you something to think about, if Dion Mayer has inspired you to do something or any of our amazing guests, please give us a rating because ratings, you know, they do algorithm thingies and, you know, they help us make us more visible. And that means more writers will get inspired and that will mean a much better world and perhaps even world peace if you give us a five star rating. Not guaranteed. No guarantees, but, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. In fact, I always think about that. I always think for everyone who's listening to us that found us on maybe iTunes or one of the other podcast providers is probably because somebody else left a review. So time to pay it forward, Mm. folks. Leave a review. Um, Please tell people about the podcast and encourage them to check in. And also don't forget to tell your friends, your writing groups, drop a note to your auntie who's thinking of writing a book, whoever it might be, get them inspired, um, give them the gift of... uh, of inspiration with this podcast and uh, get point them to the website. We'd very much appreciate that. So, Mr. Stay, I hope you have a fantastic week this week. Anything interesting too, coming sir. up for you? Uh, yes, uh, something I can't talk about. I'm going to Brilliant. see... Um, a t- yeah, sorry. Well, you know, uh, I've sort of mentioned there's a TV show that I'm sort of vaguely involved with. I'm mm. hoping to see the first assemblies of footage from that in the next week, which is very exciting. And I won't be able to share any of any it, with of it you. whatsoever. No. But nope. in the future, <laughs> folks, if as we did previously and start to drop some little breadcrumbs for you mm. and little Easter eggs, 
um, remember this episode because in the future we will be able to talk about it. And let me yeah. just say, it will utterly blow everyone away <laughs> that has known anything <laughs> about Mr. Stay and this podcast. Um, yeah, the things, the things that I can't mention either, Mark. Very difficult. Yeah. But anyway, mm. it's just to keep you teased. It's all good fun, and you do want to check this out. All I'll say is, uh, yeah, keep tuned, mm. folks. Brilliant. Well, listen, have a great week, Mark. Have you a too, great sir. to all of our listeners out there. Have a great writing week this week for everyone who's watching this on YouTube. Hello, um, go write now, please. Um, and like we say, if you want to, if you want to write a book in a day, twelfth of May, Peace. write a book in a day on the twelfth of May. There you go. That's the campaign. That rhymes, um, yeah. <laughs> come join us, drop us a note. And um, we look forward to chatting with you next week. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye! Bye.